future of transportation has a lot going for it. Flying cars and metros in the sky and creative policy introductions will all play a big role in making safer, faster, environmentally friendly travel. Hey everyone, I'm Adriel Lubarski. And I'm Danny Abrams. And welcome back to episode two of Arts Beast Stories, Smart Cities and the Future of Transportation. Danny, remember how excited you were about those self-driving cars? Yes! Did we finally get to talk about that? Ah, patience, young grasshopper. Soon. Oh, alright. Self-driving cars, flying cars, all these tricky new futuristic modes of transit, they got a ways to go before they can be brought into downtown LA, or even North Carolina's Triangle. Complex technologies requiring experimental and forward-looking policy, they need a lab, a test ground. They need an insulated community. If we were to gather an anthology of buzzwords about city planning in the future, we'd likely title it Live, Work, Play, one of the buzziest of buzz terms. Live, Work, Play means creating a community that we don't often need to leave to live a great life. Not a dystopian city of ember without escape, but more like a tiny urban environment in an otherwise suburban world. Imagine this. There's a 5 by 5 mile plot of land and you live in a great apartment complex. There. You also had a small park to get your nature dose, let your kids play, and have Fido chase a ball. You're about two blocks from a healthy grocery store, your office is about three miles away. Just a long walk or a light bike ride. Or maybe you use the SkyTran, the metro in the sky, to get around longer distances and grab a bike for the last leg. Transportation of the future is about changing more than just how we get around. It's about changing where we get around. It's city planning as much as it is technology development. And there are some great examples of efforts to make these very progressive and futuristic environments where transportation for work, enjoyment, or daily necessities becomes either entirely green by bike, electric tram, or the good old-fashioned shoelace express, or a thing of the past. One great example of the potential effect of live-work play on transportation is Park Center, a futuristic live-work play environment being planned in North Carolina. In addition to incredible design principles in the architecture of the buildings, the area's open parks, trails, and easy access from adjacent interstate make transportation effective and efficient. It will be a great place to live at any age, work in any field, and have any hobby. This means that this micro-city of sorts can be specifically built as a host to the best transportation efforts. It's even in their charter. For some help, we turn to our friend Lisa Jemison, Director of Company Engagement at Research Triangle Park, the entity in charge of Park Center. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Adriel. What's up? You work for RTP, don't you? Yep, sure do. Well, do you have the Park Center Charter memorized by heart? Well, not exactly. Ah, that's too bad. Well, do you think you can read directly from the Charter for us to show Park Center's commitment to transportation solutions of the future? Sure, here goes. Our mission is to provide alternative transportation strategies, form a meaningful balance of open space and buildings, and facilitate pedestrian and vehicular circulation. Ah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Lisa. Sure. See you later. These environments, live-work-play areas like Park Center, are great places to experiment with efforts like SkyTran. They're tight-knit, close together, and safe. Infrastructure like SkyTran rails can be implemented with less cost than in a major city. Self-driving cars built specifically for Park Center have less complicated of a world to learn and maneuver, and could be put in to safely and quickly navigate the campus. That's why you might often hear a place like Disney World or a tech-savvy retirement community, as being at the forefront of creative transportation. Less to manage, and more to accomplish. As always with super ambitious progressive efforts, legacy regulation just seems to get in the way of good planning. For example, at Park Center, 
which is one of the largest employers in the United States, there are laws requiring a certain parking spot per square foot ratio, which takes up an enormous amount of space, time, and resources. No matter how live-work, playish, or futuristic Park Center wants to be, it's limited by old regulation. And considering the move away from single occupancy vehicles and the decline in car ownership in general, isn't that parking policy a little weird and old-fashioned? This draws a question, not for the first time and not for the last in this podcast. Imagine if they could have put that space and money towards different tasks. What if all these companies can give every employee a free bike or unlimited rides on the bus or literally anything else that will limit the need for cars as much as it will maximize the ability to have cool cars? This same problem is seen all over the country. Even on Apple's new $5 billion campus, built and designed by the very best architects, designers, and engineers in the entire world, they had to build 10,500 parking spaces for 14,200 employees, a ratio of a space for every 1.35 employees. Old regulation and old habits leads to massive congestion, environmental and lifestyle issues. To quote Lloyd Atler, a designer and environmental blogger for treehugger.com, Apple doesn't tell us where all their employees live, but the average commute time in the area is 30 minutes and the average speed of roaring 14.3 miles per hour. And the average passenger miles per gallon is 34.3. That crunches out to 6,300 gallons of gasoline per day, burned just getting all those Apple engineers to and from work. Yeek, that ain't pretty. And it shows that in any environment, urban, rural, or live-work play, current regulatory issues and infrastructure are huge barriers to safe, fast, and environmental travel. So, some solutions? Support public transportation. Change the regulation to encourage fewer individual cars. And really emphasize live-work-play, which Apple's campus does not. And in true live-work-play environments, or really any modern workspace, it seems like someone or some group needs to work with local regulation to repurpose its focuses. Overall, live-work-play environments do a lot to act as testing grounds for transportation and regulation, and to remove the need for toxic and burdensome transit. But we've got to admit, as cool as live-work-play could be, not everyone wants to live in that world, with their professional, personal, and social lives all so closely connected. That's true. Not everyone wants to live amongst the hubbub. And one solution is that the development of other technologies seemingly unrelated to transit saves the need for more transportation. For the 25% of car time as commuting to and from work, much can be replaced by distributed work from home environments or robust communication tools like Slack and Skype. And for the 75% of our transit that's related to everything else in our lives, it's slowly getting digitized by the private sector to remove the need for us to actually go anywhere. Food and groceries get delivered, movies are rented, and some experts believe that when virtual reality comes along, it'll mean we can still have amazing experiences like great basketball tickets or seeing a concert without needing to drive to it. Hold on just a minute. If I don't need to drive the 13 minutes to and from Food Lion for groceries, where am I ever going to find the time to listen to this podcast, perfectly engineered for the average commute? Danny, you wrote this podcast. You've heard it already. Oh, that's right. But what about my morning wait-wait-don't-tell-me listening? Well, I guess you're going to need to go walk in the park and get some ice cream or something. (laughs) We're not saying that you'll never drive again. What we realize is that the goal of the future of transportation isn't necessarily more ingenious forms of transportation. Maybe it's less transportation entirely. All that said, people still love to have cars, and they still need them. A family of four likes to take road trips. Dad's got to shuttle the kids from school to softball to piano lessons. I'm in a band and I need to take my kazoo with me everywhere, just in case a gate comes up. 
A kazoo gig? Yeah, the demand is higher than one might think. I'm on the birthday party circuit right now. <laughs> sure you are. And honestly, people like us, we're used to cars. We're talking about the first dramatic shifts in habits of movements in a century. It'll take time, perhaps a full generation cycle or more, to shift people's mindsets around cars. So, while cars are on the road, we should focus on making them good cars. Let's open our anthology of transportation buzzwords to chapter 6, and we'll find everyone's favorite chapter. Autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, intelligence beings of the future, they have arrived. Yes, it's happening. Well, self-driving cars aren't here yet. And for a number of reasons, they won't be in your garage for a few more years. That said, they're coming, and they're coming fast. Self-driving cars are ranked from level 0 to level 5. Levels 0, 1, and 2, they're already on the road. Adaptive cruise control and lane assist exist. These aren't just gimmicks or cool features. They are the future already on our roads at a small scale. The higher levels, 4 and 5, that's what we're aiming for. Highly capable self-driving cars with the ability to function entirely without human driver control for most or all of their driving life. That's where we're headed. And remember, we're not just starting this journey today. We've already beaten three levels. Boss mode is only a couple of stages away. But we can't get to autonomous vehicles yet. Ah, now you're just teasing me. I know, I'm sorry. But skipping to autonomous vehicles too soon would be like going from landlines to iPhones. We've got to talk about the flip phone first. And our version of the Motorola Razor here is the connected vehicle. Connected vehicles are typically vehicles that are connected to other vehicles, which we call V2V, or to the infrastructure, which is V2I or I2V. That's Professor Nagui Rafael of the Institute of Transportation Research and Education. He's saying that connected vehicles have more data than we have now in our cars being connected to each other and to roadside technologies like streetlights and data posts. But the power and control is still with the driver. This is what we're going to see over the next decade or so, and it all starts with the car. Tesla made one of the first big splashes in this market. As their CEO Elon Musk envisioned a car to revolutionize what cars mean, both in terms of their environmental impact and what the term driving even means, he's made his first steps to success. Teslas are built connected to the internet, which is really cool and means they get real-time traffic updates and can themselves adjust routes. Being connected also means that they can get software updates constantly implemented that make them safer, more efficient, and smarter. Yeah, you should all go ahead and Google a video of what driving a Tesla looks like. The driver can supervise more than drive. The car itself stops at lights, slows down around turns, adjusts its speed limits, and for the most part, recognizes the traffic around it. The driver can't quite read a book or take a nap, but they also don't have to be 100% focused 100% of the time. Which leads us to... Finally? Autonomous vehicles? Ah, uh, not yet, Danny. Welcome to Chapter 7 of the Transportation Buzzwords book, The Smart City and the Internet of Things. Internet of Things, or IoT, it's all about connecting all of the devices in our lives, our phones, our roads, our homes, to make them more intelligent. If you want a really good laugh, you can look up some IoT kitchen appliances to see what happens when techies get a little too excited. But we're not going to talk about that today. Actually, we are going to talk about that today. Because for anyone worried that the future is coming too fast, here's a real clip to give you some peace of mind that you won't wake up tomorrow in a world you don't recognize. Here's YouTuber Hungry Gizmo preparing his morning protein shake. I just got all my household appliances connected to the Internet of Things. Let's say I want to blend something. Instead of pressing that single button, I can unlock my phone, open an app, 
press blend and wait for it to do its thing. Hopefully. This is the future. <laughs> that is incredible. I want it. Well, all right, Danny, you made your point. Now, can we get back to IoT and transportation? Okay, fine. Everyone close your eyes and imagine with me. Well, unless you're driving, then stay focused. Unless you've got a connected Tesla, then I guess you can close one eye. Anyway, everyone imagine your least favorite stoplight. The one that never seems to change when you want it to, even if no other cars were around. IoT would fix that, as the stoplight would know exactly how many cars were in line to go where, and can change on a timely and speedy manner. The great value of Internet of Things comes when the most important things on the roads are cars, are connected to each other. For instance, Professor Raphael is back to imagine this scenario. So imagine yourself on I-40, and uh, I-40, rather than having all of these sensors, basically has the ability in certain places, let's say every kilometer or so, to take information from vehicles and send information back to vehicles. Essentially, you're getting customized information on your own, in your own vehicle about what's going on. So that allows you to either leave the road or take, a, or take some evasive maneuver or maybe not even leave home if you get that information early on. Okay, we promise you we get back to it, so let's talk. Data and your privacy. Your first thought may be, well, if computers know all this information about us, that's a violation of my privacy. And that's a really good point, and it's a complicated one. And we don't have time to fully delve into this huge topic, but we think that Secretary of North Carolina Department of Transportation, Jim Trogdon, had a pretty well thought out answer when we asked him about it. Jim talks about companies who are highly adept at providing consumer information without sacrificing privacy. There are companies uh, out there right now that are currently leaders in the use of technology and hosting vast quantities of income tax data, of defense intelligence data, a lot of highly classified data. How can we partner with them so that we can allow them to do the things that they're good at, which is managing and hosting highly sensitive data, but providing us the kind of information we need to, to answer questions that, that aren't tied to an individual. Okay, so let's take his word for the sake of further discussion and assume the government isn't doing anything malicious with our data. Really? We're safe? Then can you explain to me why we're wearing tinfoil hats in your underground bunker again? Shh, dude, you'll give away our location. Regardless, it's happening, data's being shared, and let's hope there are good actors on the receiving end. At the very least, the government doesn't want data just to spy on us. The smart city is looking for all this information for a reason. It needs to know where to direct investment. Now we have the data that can, can really provide very accurate, uh, real-time estimates of what's happening so that we can then, t you know, every five minutes, I know what the travel time is, I can sum that over a month to get an average. I can sum that over a quarter. Uh, and so it helps us direct our investments to the places that will give us the greatest return on the investment based on this kind of data. So data means a lot for the government's efficacy, and it can mean a lot for you. Get this. About 30% of traffic congestion in urban areas can be attributed to drivers looking for parking. What if there was no more looking for parking? Because our cars knew exactly where to go, what spots are open, and what spots were about to be taken. Or even better? What if there was never any need for parking because cars were constantly utilized, either autonomously or for now with a driver, going around and picking people up, taking folks places, or transporting goods on their own? 
Ooh, we're gonna talk about autonomous cars. I can feel it this time. Almost, Annie, almost. A few years practice with connected vehicles also means that it prepares us for the power that autonomous vehicles will give us, technologically and ethically. If we're still making decisions just with more information, we as humanity can get more accustomed to the tools that are given to us. And it's more than just cars and drivers. The actual infrastructure needs to change. I mean, if we become more connected, we can raise the speed limit by 10 miles an hour. Maybe when we become autonomous, we'll be able to raise the speed limit by 50 miles. But changing that means we need to change the road itself. I mean, one of the things we design roads for is to be forgiving. If you make a mistake, you're not going to kill yourself. Most of the lanes are 12 feet wide. Most vehicles are around six and a quarter feet wide. So you, you can wander around the lane and not hit anybody else. Perhaps with connected and autonomous vehicles, we can make lanes more narrow and add an extra lane. Perhaps we can even speed up cars. But then, if cars start going faster, we need to remove sharp turns, because any turn in a road becomes that much more dangerous with more speed. What if it snows? What if there's a sudden unexpected rain? I guess we could have all the data in the world, but we can't expect the weatherman to get everything right. We need to change the materials of our tires and of our roads. That is a big task that involves a lot of learning time and experimentation. And then, we need to remember that technology fails. We don't like to think about technology failing, but literally as I was writing this section, I was in a coffee shop and the power went out for seven minutes. A dozen people looked up from their computers and they were coming out of a zombie bite. It was relatively harmless for most, except one guy who forgot to save in Roller Coaster Tycoon. When talking about cars, sensors on a lane designed to keep cars in lane from veering out need to always work. Not just sometimes, but always. And as anyone who has ever tried to give a presentation knows, always bring a backup USB. We need to add enough sensors to act as backup sensors and backup power grids. That's right, and it would feel incomplete and improper to discuss all this that we're talking about without mentioning the challenges and dangers associated with autonomous vehicles. Simply put, technology fails. A recent Deloitte study showed that about 74% of Americans don't believe that autonomous driving will be as safe as human driving. And recently, the world's mistrust grew when in 2016, a Tesla driver decided to test the limits of autopilot and watch a Harry Potter film while being driven around. Putting his face in the technology, he tragically died after crashing into a truck that his Tesla sensor didn't detect. But one advantage of connected and autonomous vehicles is that they actually get better with every mile driven by every other car. The only knowledge improvements that human drivers have is our own. Just because my dad is a good driver, or I once met a professional race car driver, doesn't make me a better driver. If anything, confidence can build laziness. And all the human skill in the world can be eradicated by one erratic sneeze that makes me jerk my hands, or being tired after a long trip, or even someone else's bad or drunk driving. But my autonomous and connected car, on the other hand, can talk to and learn from everyone else's autonomous and connected car. Plus, machines don't drink and drive. And the fact that Teslas on autopilot have already driven 130 million miles, which is like a zillion more than I'll ever drive, means that they're already better drivers than I can ever be. This creates a question of ethics that policymakers will need to consider with transportation of the future. As Professor Raphael told us, if there's an accident today, we know where to seek justice, the other driver or the dangerous roadmaker. But what about if the accident was just caused by an algorithmic error, not a human? Can we still take out our anger in the same way? Can humanity's very flimsy notion of justice and ethics still be carried out? Maybe that's a question for another podcast.
but it's something that the decision makers in the future of transportation will need to think long and hard about. The tragic truth is that there's over 1.3 million car-related deaths in the world every year. So far, Tesla has won. That's the future of transportation. Alright Danny, let's talk about autonomous vehicles. Why would you even say that to me and get my hopes up? You know there's only 9 seconds left. <laughs> You're right. Well, next week on RTP Stories. Autonomous cars, algorithmic UPS trucks, and bikes. Coming up next episode. Thank you to everyone who made this series possible. The theme music was written and recorded by Matt Phillips, Dylan Turner, and Danny Abrams at Sleepy Cat Studios. Additional interlude music for this episode was provided by Temenos. This podcast was produced by the venerable Danny Abrams. My name's Andrea Labarsky. Thanks for listening, and safe travels.